Thanks for tuning in to the Southern Way Hunting Podcast on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and on this show, you'll hear hunting tactics, stories, and strategies from hunters across the South. Our aim is to sharpen our skills as hunters and outdoorsmen, become more efficient and effective in pursuit of our craft, and even have a little fun while we're at it. And of course, no matter the pursuit, we focus on doing things the Southern way. Hey, welcome back to the Southern Way Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Raley. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this week. We've got a little bit of a different episode for you in store. I'm talking with Ev Terrell and Jamie Dykeman from Code of Silence Camo. Code of Silence is pretty new to the market. I saw them at ATA this year, and it was really intriguing to me. The technology that has gone into this camo is impressive. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about their core values in this episode. We also talk about how to stay warm. And at the very end, I throw to them what I think is a concern with their camo, something that I think might make it a struggle for a Southern hunter to be able to use and get their answer on it. And I'll let you guys decide. I'm not affiliated with Code of Silence whatsoever. In fact, I am affiliated with Huntworth Gear Camo. Really, really love their stuff. But when Code of Silence reached out, I thought, yeah, let's have them on the show. Let's learn what this is about. And we'll let the listeners make the decision. So with all that said, I hope you enjoy the show. All right, join me for this week's episode of the podcast. I've got Ev Terrell and Jamie Dykeman from Code of Silence. Hey, thanks for joining me today, guys. Appreciate you taking the time to... Uh, to come on the show we're right here in uh deer season middle of october right now uh what does that look like for you guys as far as getting out in the timber well we're doing it every bit of it we can uh it's you know it's our rut usually starts right around the first of november so we get, we're a couple weeks out but we're kind of putting final touches on things and watching cameras like everybody else and trying to dial in uh, uh, a plan and and find a target buck of which we've seen a couple already. So there you go about that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's uh well, you know what you guys are in the outdoor industry. So what that means is that, you know, good hunting time comes up. You just shut everything down. There's no work going on and you guys just go hunt for the entire season. Right. That's yeah, yeah exactly. Nice. Yeah. We'll be back about December 1st. I think the way it looks right now. Josh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we find that balance, you know, I mean, it's, it's our Super Bowl too. I mean, as, as, as just individuals and we love being in the woods, you gotta be, but as a company, we have to be in the woods um, as well, but it's everybody else's go time too. And they need, you know, sizing information and feedback and we're planning for next fall um, line as well, which is kind of crunch time on the manufacturing. So there's a lot of balls in the air right now, but Hey, we wouldn't have it any other way. That's right. That's right. I, I always have folks, you know, ask about what's it like to be there in that time of year. And, you know, for, for you just, you get to go hunt and you hunt here and you hunt there and you're all over the place. And it's like, yeah, it's really great. But what you don't see is I get up at four in the morning and I hunt all day and I, well, maybe I come back at lunch and I work during lunch and then I go back out in the field and I hunt until dark. And then I come home and I work until midnight or 1am and I sleep for three hours and then I go hunting again. Like that's the, 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 Again, not that I'd have it any other way, but the sacrifices that you have to make, it's not, it's not all fun and games sometimes. Uh, there's, there's a lot of work to be done. But, uh, guys, I, I want to start off with just giving you a couple minutes to introduce yourself individually. Maybe tell me what you do with Code of Silence, uh, and then we'll get into kind of the birth of the company. So, uh, Jamie, why don't, you go to, why don't you go first? Yeah, um, so I am uh, the VP of Operations, but... Ev and I and Darren are pretty much the the main people that help keep the business moving. Um, I have about 10 years of experience in the outdoor industry. I actually started at Cabela's, so we're here in Sydney, Nebraska. Um, And that's where Ev and I met within the hunting apparel merchandising team. Um, Had experience within product development um, and landed here. So the, the company is coming up on its like first anniversary here this month. Yep, right at So it. really exciting and a lot of things we have in, in the line. But yeah, I handle everything from uh, new relationships to customer inquiries to product development and just keep the business rolling. Yeah. I, what what got you into, I guess, that lane of, of the industry? I mean, that's that's such, it seems like such a niche area. But one, I think a lot of guys are like, man, if I want to do something in the outdoor industry, how do I even how do I even aim my trajectory to get to that kind of a point? 
Yeah. Are you talking like product development specifically or are you talking just the outdoor industry? Yeah. Product development specifically. Yeah. Um, So I I'll try and button this up quickly because my story is a little. (laughs) So I, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. I was a city gal who had zero experience hunting and really the outdoor side. Um, when I moved out West, uh, my expertise was in bovine health. So I was a, I was a scientist. I was a science nerd. So the opportunity out here at Cabela's was the first that I ever really, you know, had outdoor industry experience. My husband's a huge bow hunter. He's the one who showed me the way and has now become a huge part of my life. But the science background I think really helped drive that passion into product development because, you know, that concept of form and function or function versus form, however you want to explain it, you really understand that there is a purpose for this belt built like this is supposed to function this way to solve a problem. Right. Right. So I already had that genetically in my mind. Right. And, and had experience within scientific background, not necessarily building products, but those two went hand in hand. And that's where, what drove my passion into staying in that lane. Wow. That's incredible. Ev, let's get a a quick intro from you. Well, I came from Cabela's. Um, I had almost right at 30 years in Cabela's and left um, about five years ago just to, you know, do different things. 30 years was about enough. And uh, I spent 25 of those 30 years, I guess, in, in, in hunting clothing, running uh, that for Cabela's and, um, had a great run, great team, and a lot of different cool experiences. You would think that I'd kind of had my fill of, of building hunting clothing, but really felt that there was a, an unmet need um, for some certain attributes. I guess we'll talk about it in a little bit. But Jamie and I met eight years, ten years ago? Ten years ago. Ten years ago. Been, yeah. uh, Jamie is funny. She's uh, She might have come from a, you know, a bovine background, but I met her at a – at a kind of a product showcase, we were uh, showing products to the, you know, some secondary groups or the not secondary, but different groups of the company. And Jamie came in and I really thought I was being set up, Josh. I was like, who is this person that's asking me every question you could ever think of about these products? And (laughs) and pretty soon I figured out I wasn't being set up and that she was a real person and and was really just that uniquely interested. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get that person on my team, but uh, I'm going to figure it out. And, so she uh, she was grateful enough to accept a position in hunting clothing, and the rest is sort of history. She just had a great career at Cabela's, and I'm really for, the brand is very fortunate to have her uh, back on board. And she's she's one of those people that just makes it happen. She's she's right when she says she just does a little bit of everything. I think we both do a lot of a yeah. little bit of everything. You can imagine with customer comments and being a small team. I mean, it's about size charts and getting stuff on order and tests. She just brought in a pair of pants that. Her and her husband were, you know, uh, testing out this weekend and trying to figure out what's going on with it. And she's setting up podcasts and um, <laughs> just making it happen. She asked me what she was going to do. And I said, you're going to, I need help running the company. And that's exactly what she's doing. So, Wow. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So tell me about Code of Silence and uh, maybe its inception. Like how did, how did Code of Silence come up? And, you know, I'll be honest with you, from the outside looking in, a very crowded looking space, but we got to talk a little bit off air and maybe it's not so crowded when you start to stand apart a little bit. So, so tell me about the inception of the company. Yeah. Again, you know, leaving Cabela's and, and kind of wondering what you're going to do with the you know rest of your life. And you would think that after 30 years of building hunting clothing, it'd be enough. And, but honestly, you know, sort of the aha moments for me, there wasn't one, but several of just saying, why am I, you know, one of, the, one of the big moments was hunting a particular deer about four or five years ago, and I was literally moving my stand up um, three to five feet, you know, it seemed like by month, um, hiding on the backside of trees with my stand, you know, anything to visually separate myself from, you know, from what the deer was able to, to, to visually see when they're walking through, and, and I'm like, why am I, and I've got a thousand dollar set of the best camouflage in the world. And why am I hiding my camouflage is supposed to be hiding me. And so from a visual side, that was a big, uh, a big deal. We also just said, why am I, you know, not able to move, walk into my stand, climb my tree, make things happen when I'm in a tree um, from a, a quietness standpoint. And then warmth being the other um, 
key thing. I just, we just really felt that the breathability side of, of the key to sit, being the key to staying warm was not being managed um, properly. So kind of those big three of, of better level of concealment, better level of quietness and a better uh, ability to, you know, stay warm on stand were still holes in the market, even after really almost 45 years of camouflages and serious hunting clothing. And it's like, everybody agreed it was, it was a hole. So here we are. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I've, I've, um, I've run the full gamut when it comes to camo in my life. I've done the, you know, as cheap as I can possibly find at Walmart or thrift store. I've also done other options where I spend a ton of money and I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Some of the more expensive stuff is, is great. Um, but there's always something like, it seems like there's always that, ah, if this was different, if that was different and I know everyone's body is a little bit different, but, um, yeah, finding something that truly works for you and is, is a hundred percent functional, I feel like is, is a little bit more tough. So there's, there are holes there in the market that, that, that can be filled, need to be filled. Let's talk a bit about what sets code of silence apart, maybe from some others, from, a technology aspect from maybe just a research and development aspect from uh, gathering feedback from end users. Uh, what, what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. I'd say, and you're not going to say this because you're too humble. One of the biggest things that sets us apart is the experience in the 30 some plus years of someone who has been behind the scenes for camo clothing. Right. Like, so, He's not going to say this, but I mean, that is what I think is the first part is the experience behind the brand and behind the clothing is right. really comes from his expertise. Right. Um, and within, as you said, you know, developing humming and clothing after all those years are like, do I really want to continue? And you're like, but exactly what you said, Josh, there's still just a little bit that's like not quite right. And I think that's what led into the passion of Code of Silence. I think that's, I appreciate it, Jamie. Um, it, it's, it's a, yeah. I mean, it depends how you look at it. And part of me is like, gosh, after 30 years, you didn't get it right. And now you still got to feel like you still got to go. And, um, the consumer side was, is huge. I mean, it yep. really is. And we could talk literally for hours on, on our position on concealment. We really think that light absorbance is something that's been overlooked um, so many ways. There's so many keys, though, that would suggest that the our philosophy and and the uh, how it applies to animal vision is is accurate. You, you have goose hunters that have moved to flock heads and decoys years ago because of their natural because of, of light reflectance or, or lack thereof of a of a flocked head versus a, a flat head. You have ghillie suits um, that snipers purposely make out of natural materials with a lot of texture in them. And I think that that is going to be a huge, huge deal in how we understand how to keep from being noticed in the woods um, by animals in the, in the upcoming years. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm getting off topic, but you know, that, that was a big, big driver aha moment. As I said, there was, there was that one deer that I was hunting that was amazingly, um, capable of, of seeing, I'm not talking about the same old stand that, you know, you, you've had for 20 years, you sit in every day that of course they know you're there. You know, I'm talking about hanging and hunting and just having a, a deer that just picked me off. And it was like, there is something about clothing that animals, once they figure out what it is that they're looking for, can definitely differentiate. And it's like, just really went back to the basics of what I thought was, working the best, which was texture and which was uh, organic composition and which was knitted um, technology in the camouflage. And we knew that was going to be good. We knew we needed our own camouflage, not just a, a conventional one as well. We talked about that in a minute, but we thought, yeah, that's going to be a, a, that's going to be an improvement. And I am just astounded at the difference of animal reaction or lack thereof, of, what our camouflage and our fabrics provide versus others. It was, it was kind of one of the big three, as I mentioned to you earlier, you know, it was, it was about concealment, warmth and quietness as the priorities. But I would tell you that we outkicked coverage on the concealment side. Yeah. I want to get more into that, but I've got to, I've got to tee it up with a story, man. It, 
a lot of folks would say that this was not an expensive camo suit that I bought, but I was in high school. And I went down to a an outlet store for a very popular southern camouflage brand. Um, I bought an early season suit, and I was so proud of this thing. It was mesh, and it was going to keep me cool for bow season. And I went out, and I climbed up in the tree, and I just kept getting busted. And we had a deer finally came through the food plot, triggered a camera that took a picture across the plot, and I could see myself, and I was glowing in in the sunlight. Like, it looked like I was just yes. reflecting yes. every bit of sunlight off of my suit. I ditched the thing, threw it away, but so disappointed. I think I think I spent like 120 bucks on the thing. So, you know, today people are like, okay, that you got a pair of gloves for yeah. that. But, right. uh, you know, back then, though, it felt like a ton, and it felt like such a waste. So I'm hearing this, you know, knitted material, this concealment that you guys have, have kind of brought to the market Let's talk more about that and the impact that that has, you know, for situations like my own where you're not a flat surface up there shining. <laughs> yeah. 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 So in going to F's point of what really started this was the concealment side in our <clears throat> Jack Harding technique. Yeah. Is that how you would say is the, the way that our camo is different from others is ours is not printed on fabrics. It's actually woven and sewn within the fabric. And yeah. that's what helps bring that texture. Um, that's what helps really that light absorbency story. Um, Cause to your point, like I think, and I, I'm going to digress just a second, but like, I think our today people just are looking at camo for what looks good for us. You know, what looks good on us and don't get me wrong. Like look good, feel good is a real thing, right. but it's like, you're missing the whole point of what concealment is supposed to help you do. And, um, the, the not having the printed, not having entirely synthetic material. And so probably what you had, Josh was completely synthetic fabrics that just were like, I mean, sun reflecting off and while the camel probably looked good, but you're missing the whole point of what concealment really means. And what it means to us is, is reducing, you know, and, and not being an exception within nature. Right. That's really good. That's really good. Yeah, uh, we have to be careful. We can talk a lot right. on, this, on this topic, and it's 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 pretty diverse. It really is, and there's just so much the qualification. If you just look at the simple form um, of you know how animals work through the woods, and I'll, I'll Jamie kick me if I get it too much in the details, but you know we talk about going unnoticed versus unseen. I guess as as sort of the key difference and. I think it's safe to say that that animals walk through the woods just like people drive down the street and you know you, you're not you know when you're driving you're not going oh there's a mailbox there's a house there's a sprinkler there's a you know there's a car there's you know your brain is telling you what is important that you need to focus on and those are those are exec- exceptions and so we think of you know being non-exception in the woods and yeah, color matters, pattern matters, but if, if you're not mimicking the light absorbances of the woods, which, by the way, are very textured, very light absorbing, um, you're going to get noticed. And the, the, the proof point is, I guess, what, you know, do you get seen, do you not get seen, but just as importantly, do you get forgiven? That was really kind of the qualifier. There's something different going on, and I've you know, I'm not going to say that stuff makes you invisible by any means. And when I do get noticed, you know, and that old doe that, you know, is a tree washer spots me and I go, oh, it gigs up. And suddenly they're going back to feeding. They're going there. And I have been, I guess, defined as something that is unimportant. Um, it, it tells us we're doing something yeah, right. It lets, it lets yeah. you get away with more. Yeah. Yeah. The, the simple form, Josh, you know, is, I, I can have two objects. I can have a, a, a burlap sack that's one color, and I can have a plastic bag that's a, that exact same color, and you lay them out in the woods, and which one do you think is easier for you to notice or see? And it's that principle that I really think has been overlooked. Um, you know, we, we as hunters or we as consumers has been told that, you know, 12 colors and photo realism and mm-hmm. – this level of detail is 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 going to be the game changer, and well, that's all fine and good. But if it is not 
mimicking the woods from a light absorbent, slight reflection standpoint, kind of all bets are off in our opinion. And um, it's really like we always say, and nothing against, you can imagine I'm really good friends with, with, uh, with the big camel companies. I've known Toxie and Bill, for example, for 30 years, you know, and 35 years. And um, it's, you know, they're, they're great. But we always say, you know, if deer had to work conventional camouflage, they'd probably be extinct. You know, they, they have light absorbing <laughs> hide, fur, um, hair, because of a lot of the principles we're talking about. That's why sometimes there's a doe standing below me walking, walking around in the leaves and you can hear the leaves drop and you, you have to reacquaint yourself with where that deer's at. And it's a lot of the same principles. So, right. uh, and you mentioned and we're not trying to sell anything. I'm not sitting here trying to go, you know, uh, I think it's a principle that hunters need to embody outside of our clothing. So. Right. Right. That's really good. Let, how did the, how did the idea for, you know, this woven camo pattern come about? I mean, that, that's pretty unique in the space. Um, and, you know, trying to accomplish that light absorbency, which I think is, is way bigger probably than we give it credit for. Um, especially on a nice, bright, sunny day. So yep. where, where did that technology come from or the idea? It's funny, you know, I mean, I'd, um, be honest, it wasn't like we said, oh, my gosh, we have to go out and complete this level of light absorbency in our, in our fabrics. It was like we wanted to have the best um, concealment technology we could and really looked at the garments. And I have thousands of garments, you can imagine, for spending time at Cabela's and field testing every product we ever sold and made over 30 years. You get a, you want to come to my garage sale someday. I'll just tell you that, Josh. <laughs> you let me know when um, it's coming. I'll fly out. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely the, you know, the, the more textured fabrics. It was the jacquard knits. It was the organic componentry that stood out, not in my mind, the, the, team of kind of our network always thought those were better. And so, you know, it's like, well, that's where we're going to start. Um, our camouflage, we could just, our actual camouflage that's in the pattern is very unique as well. It's called S18, which stands for Stand 18. Um, that is unique too. And that's where we started. And like I said, I don't, I don't think we thought we were going to be able to make a product that was as, um, successful or as beneficial as what this is when we started. It was a little bit of a surprise. We just we thought we were going, we were leveraging best practices and we would have the best we could possibly have. I am, I would, I've told Jamie this, I would hang a sign in our booth at the show and say, <clears throat> if you don't get seen half as much or less than you ever have, and if you do get seen, if you don't get forgiven twice as much, bring the stuff back and we'll give you your money back. It is that different in the, in a tree um, in terms of getting noticed or, or not getting noticed. In my opinion, um, I'm sure again, I do get seen. I do. It's not like it's, it's foolproof, but it is noticeably better. Yeah. And we're, we're starting going to, I mean, I think we should share a little bit about our own unique pattern. That's 18 camo. Um, and really how that came about. Cause you even mentioned to other I mean, other patterns that are out there, a lot of it is line art, you yeah. know, and, and going back to the mimicking nature as close as possible, not only with light, you know, absorbencies, but also from an imagery standpoint. Yeah. The S18 camo is, is something we're very proud of and what's, what's helped elevate this. So real quick, Josh on S18 and Jamie's teed this up really well. So again, no, you know, not throwing mud at the way anyone has done camouflage in the past. I've done it myself at Cabela's. We had our own patterns, sort of did it conventionally. And well, you know, it's art. It's, uh, I'll put a leaf here and a branch here and, you know, okay, it needs something to fill it in. And it's like, well, <clears throat> that's not very objective. So what we did was we took a survey of uh, our network of people that are pretty much around the central part of the country and said, what's the average tree stand height you hunt in and of course that was all over from eight to 32 feet you can imagine but the average was actually 14.8 feet so you put a six foot human in in that tree stand at belt height that gets you to 17.8 feet rounded up to 18 and then we looked at the five most common species of trees looked at 
um, 10 samples on each of those five trees at that 18 foot mark and said, what is the average branch size and the branch density? And then that drove the element composition, the pattern. So it is truly a, a wow. scientific approach that applies to where and how people are hunting. And I'll be the first to admit, I mean, some of those trees are telephone poles. There's no branches. And some of them look like your dream apple tree to climb as a kid and there's just branches <laughs> everywhere, you know, but um, it, at least it was an average of those. And then the four colors that we have, that's one thing about jacquard knitting. You are limited in the number of colors. I mean, if, you know, some patterns have up to 12 or 15 colors now. We can't do that. We're, we're limited to four, but we chose the, uh, the darkest and lightest, most common colors of those same five trees. And then the two middle components. So we have four colors that, um, you know, you can get, I guess you can see them behind us, but, you know, it's this pattern um, that we're talking about. This is S18. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it sounds it's, obvious, but I mean, it's like, how else would you design a camel? That's what it should do. And, but for 35 years, people haven't been thinking about that. So. Yeah. Yeah, man, that, um, I don't know. When you think back, the old stick and twig and branch and leaf patterns, they do, they look good to us. I mean, you hold it up and you're like, boy, that looks like a tree. But I mean, realistically, how, how well is that concealing you when you are up against the trunk of a tree and without maybe a, a ton of cover, but let's get into some of the other pieces here. Um, sure. We've talked about concealment. I want to hit on the fit and function piece a little bit. That has been uh, for some of your higher end camo over the last couple of years, that has been all the rage and all the conversation. And I get it right. Like I've tried those pieces. Yes, it is better than the stuff that I used to wear. Uh, but I'm curious how you guys have maybe had a little bit of a different take on that than something that, uh, maybe out there on the market already, or may have been on the market already. Yeah, I mean, it, it really comes down to, like I said, form and function and, and focusing on the key needs. Um, this was, our series was built around tree stand bow hunter, mm-hmm. whitetail tree stand bow hunter. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the features that are essential to be successful as a bow hunter, um, you know, we're, we're end users. We are passionate bow hunters. We have, you know, whole group of people that we utilize get feedback from um a lot of it too was a minimalist approach you can get too cute with things and i know you've probably seen camo and in different product offerings that have all these cool features um and even packs for example too like i i was behind a lot of the pack development back in the day and you can i mean the millions of pockets and the millions of features that you have within here is like well how do i even find my gear because you don't even remember where you put it so it's like it's that fine line of really identifying the key needs of of a bow hunter and integrating those essentials within within the products right right with with definitely adequate function you know and and, uh, jamie's spot on and and that you know definitely more than adequate function same time you know kind of simplicity to make sure you stay organized when and keep things simplified to where you can make things happen same time you know over engineering um it's expensive right and that was another slight yeah. you know more than slight motivation i guess is you know we, we look we came from a background of manufacturing clothing um cabela's was almost 90 percent private label across 10,000 SKUs. I mean, we, we, we built a lot of stuff in the day and they still do. They do a great job by the way. Um, still at basketball shop and Cabela's, but, um, it's expensive, but why we just didn't see the the rationale on why uh, a camouflage coat should cost what they cost in in a lot of instances. There was, um, there was a value that we thought was being unmet. Not that we wanted to undercut a bunch of people in price, but it was just, we're kind of those people, I guess, that um, good firm handshake and a, and a good value. And we thought that that was being left behind. Right. Can we can we talk just a little bit about um, balance when it comes to quality and cost? Uh, I've worked with a couple of different camo brands. They've all been great. It's been awesome. Um, Given feedback, you know, product development and that kind of thing before things hit the market. And the feedback you often provide often gets a, yeah, we, we love the idea. There's no way we can do that in the price point. So therefore it's going to get scrapped. How do you guys walk that fine line between quality and function 
and price to the end user? It's a great question. I don't. I don't know if there is a formula necessarily, Josh. We don't. You know, sit here and say, "Well, this is this is how you rule things in or rule things out." Um, you know, I think we we start out with a, the the need. You know, I'll pick on our Zone Seven top. It's probably our our five iron. Sorry for the golf analogy, but it's a multifunction. Just works really well, and you know, kind of moderate conditions. You can layer underneath it. Um, it sells for 180 bucks. You know, there's this raw function that has to have. It has to have a, a hood that is adjustable to some level that can, um, you know, where you can maintain good peripheral vision. It has to have a sleeve construction that is, you know, discrete enough to allow for an archer to um, function. We had to do something on the cuff that was that was adjustable yet replace sort of the old hook and loop or slash Velcro type technology had to have thermal protection with the um, lower ham, uh, a lower drawstring, excuse me, for, for wind protection had to have enough thermal barrier type mid layer um, protection to allow it to work in the temperatures it was designed for blah, 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 blah. And so, I mean, there's just a, a, sort of a, a minimum requirement of features the product had to have to do what it had to do. Anything else we can, we saw as, as good bonus stuff that we can, we really thought that coat should be 170, 180, you know, definitely a sub $200 coat. That was kind of what we thought was, you know, going to be relevant. And so you have a budget, you have the fabrics, you have your fun, you have the features. Quality is never a, a question. I mean, you're going to build it with the bar tacking, the stitch uh, requirements, the the fit, the sizing. There, there is no shortcuts there. There is value you can find with something that does something better without a brand name or does something as well as something else with a brand name on it. But it's just really working backwards from the function and the price point and and hoping it all comes together. And if you can add more things that without going overboard on making it, you know, putting a bunch of frills on it. Um, we're all in on that too. Yeah. Did I describe that? Okay. Yeah, okay. it's it's funny. It, it really depends on the business model, right? I've mm-hmm. been throughout my years, I've, you know, been at Cabela's, I've been with private equity firms, I've been with, you know, um, private companies, us, you know, being a privately owned, like the, the guardrails can change. And I think what you were talking about, Josh, is like, it just depends on, the business model and what's right. very unique and also exciting about our business model is it's a very small company where we do have the, the free reign to do what we feel is right. So right. we're not really pigeonholed by a lot of those, those guardrails that a lot of people don't talk about. And I, that was a really good question. And maybe I'm biased just because a lot of my experience is within, you know, product strategy and to be able to say, whatever, you know, that, that business entities guardrails are, you have to fit these products that are problem solving, but you do have a box that you have to be in. Right. Um, I don't feel like we have uh, a very small box. And I feel like we do when we make those, those um, decisions of what features go in and the functionality that goes into our garments, it, it's, us really believing in what's doing what's right and what's needed for the consumer quality. I'm glad he hit on that is not something we sacrifice. It would be more, you know, you can definitely over engineer stuff. Um, But what it comes down is being very strategic on what you feel is needed from the consumer's perspective and how we can solve that within a product and these different pockets or this different um, fit or this layering piece or this outerwear piece, like, they almost have a home within the assortment that then have those needs and we cater to what we feel is right within there. And it's not necessarily limited. Um, but with, with the idea that this, this also needs to be presented to consumers without them going, this is a ridiculous price, which like, that's, (laughs) we're not going to be that like, and that, that isn't, and I don't know if you said this, like that was never intentional for us to really position like that. It was more of, identifying what what's needed and our efficiencies within manufacturing that allowed us to be able to create great quality products at a value price. Right. Right. I know I kind of long winded that answer, but I thought that was a really good question. 
question. That's, that's great answer. Hopefully I'm not being distracted. This is no. a code we're talking about. This is our Zone 7 um, series. This has a full windproof barrier. This is that stretch cuff I was talking about, which really works well whether you want to go inside or outside of gloves. You can see, I mean, we, we go an extra mile. We are so dedicated to the concealment story. So we use our, you know, very expensive Berber fabric on all the way around the cuffs. We actually line the hood with camouflage. It would be easy to save, I could save four or five dollars on this garment by putting a brown lining in it. But even when it's up, we did not want that brown, black inside lining, or when it's down, we didn't want that. We really were dedicated to, you know, function. It's we have YKK zippers throughout. That's one of the first things that, that goes south, you know. Yeah. Um, so there was there was certain things that were just not, you know up on the table to change. So we have two fabrics here. We have our, our, our core Berber shell throughout wool shell. And then we have inside, we have a, our flatter fleece wool fabric, same thing in the hood, double pockets here, chest pocket here, drawstring down here, harness vent in the back. Um, extremely functional. I've worn that, that coat at 46 degrees, 48 degrees. I've layered under that coat and been down to six degrees. And wow. it is called the Zone 7 Versa Series for for reason, Versa being because of its, you know, it versatility. Is, its versatility. Yep. But yeah, right. Try to digress there, but no, that's, that's kind of real, real life of uh, explanation of what we're doing. Yeah, no, that's really, really good. I, I want to shift gears and, and talk just a little bit about uh, the warmth piece that we've alluded to but also layering when it comes to that. So I'm, I'm here in Georgia. Um, you know, we kind of talked off air. You guys don't have a lot of offerings necessarily for our, you know, 85 to 90 degree opener. Like we're working, we're working on it. Yeah, you, 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 let me know when you're ready with that. But yeah. uh, we also, we have very, very liberal gun seasons here in the South. So Georgia's going to run late October on into January, Alabama. We're going to run, um, you know, third week of November on into February Mississippi, kind of the same thing, November on into late January. Louisiana, the same thing. So very, very long seasons. So we need camo that's going to, you know, be okay for the 90s, uh, early season, but then also take us through right. kind of the, the depth of winter here, which is nothing like the depth of winter in Nebraska or Iowa or Wisconsin. But, but it can get chilly, and we have, uh, I think, a unique challenge here with, you know, the humidity levels when it is very, very cold. I mean, I've, I've hunted in negative three, negative 10 temperatures in Wisconsin, and I've never been as cold up there as down here hunting on a 35 degree morning when it's really damp out and it's been damp for a while. Like Mm -hmm. that's when I get like cold in my bones and I'm not sure I'm ever going to warm up again, but hunting in negative three degree temperatures, you know, I remember uh, two years ago, I'm drawing my back on or drawing a bow back on a deer and I can hear the limbs of my bow, like making creaking noises as I'm drawn yeah. back. And yeah. I'm like, I'm going to, yeah. like, I don't even know what to do with this, but I was warm. I wasn't, I wasn't cold. It was a nice dry temperature. So talk to me about the warmth piece that you guys are bringing in. What's making your garments warm. And then talk to me about the layering piece. Like what can people do to make sure that they're not, you know, getting overheated on the way to the stand, but then also once they're there, they're comfortable, they're staying warm, they're staying out of the wind. Right. Yes, you got you, it. You, yeah. Well, and I would say this, you know, same thing, whether I'm, you know, we're talking about our clothes or, or things in general. I've, I've froze more than the average guy, I promise, uh, <laughs> in my lifetime. I think a lot of this is getting even for all those, those tough times um, when I did freeze back in the day, you know, like everybody else. But I think, you know, humidity is, is sort of an indicator of, of the bigger picture of moisture being the, the biggest enemy. And whether that's, yeah, I mean, not talking about rain necessarily. I'm talking about perspiration buildup, um, which, you know, sort of my rule is general rule. And again, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I have spent a lot of time out there and my network would agree, but it's not the about, it's not about, um, I hear the term, you know, I'm, I'm managing moisture. Well, it, you have to think about um, eliminating moisture. You know, it's not a sliding scale where 
you know, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little wet walking in. I'm just going to get a little cold. Um, it, it really doesn't matter how wet you get. It's, uh, it's, it's bad. So whatever it takes to stay completely dry going in and, and then after you get to the stand or close to the stand about, you know, your, your body's naturally hot, you know, you're just warmed up. And so putting a coat on right away is going to just, you know, um, create bigger, the same issue you're trying to eliminate. You know, you have to let your body cool down slowly. And it's about, I mean, I've, I'm sure a lot of people have done this. I mean, I, I used to carry two pairs of rubber boots in, one to walk all the way to the sand half a mile, and then another one to pair of socks, two pairs of dry socks inside the new pair of boots and switch out your socks or anything else. And, and the difference is amazing. Um, and I think that's where humidity kind of comes in. I think that humidity just sort of makes this the snooker table of, of, of the play here. It makes it that much more critical to stay dry. But that's why we favor breathability. And um, our products are not waterproof. And so I'm not going to, we're not going to exaggerate at this point. We can make waterproof product with the best of them, I promise you. But uh, for most conditions where you do have, you know, where most guys are sitting or gals are sitting with, without snow and rain, and that's where 90% of the hunting is probably done. But um, breathability, which leads to quietness, which leads to moisture management, is really um, where we lean hard. Yeah. It's, and again, you know, going back to the boot analogy, everybody can relate to, you know, getting cold feet in rubber boots and, and because of perspiration, it's your upper body and legs, it's the same thing of if you're creating moisture, you're creating, you know, cold, you're going to get cold. So using more breathable fabrics, still providing windproofness and, and protection uh, is, is definitely the way to go. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about proper layering when it comes to, you know, especially with use of, of your camo, like what's that going to look like to make sure that, that I can stay comfortable. Let's say I've got a, an average hike in, you know, mile or half mile, three quarters of a mile, something like that. Something that a lot of guys are probably going to be doing, especially if they're out on public land, that kind of thing. What is that layering going to look like? What are you going to be packing in depending on, you know, temperature, obviously, but um, what's your process going to look like there? Well, a couple things. I mean, it, you know, the, Putting on, you know, clothing again when you get close, I think, you know, that's pretty obvious. But the most breathable um, and the most and the whatever the lightest thing you can get away with going in. And it's so hard when you get out of the truck or out of your out of your vehicle. And I mean, it's cold, it's cold, cold out. And then you know? when you start and, moving, and you're like, a, oh. Having a T-shirt on, literally yeah. not much more than we have on right now. And saying, I'm, I'm going out in this dark and this. And yeah, you are. But I mean, it's 200 yards down the trail, you're you warm up, you know, right. it's, it's a, it's just a temporary kind of challenge. Um, but so anyway, for sure going in as light as you possibly can. And then change, if you do get wet, I mean, if it's, if it's, I walk, sometimes I walk up to a mile and it's almost impossible. Even if it's 30 degrees outside and you're walking in with just a long sleeve shirt, you get warm. And I'm not afraid to change out hundred yards from the tree, have a dry set of clothes. But the second thing is insulation. We do not know a better insulator than air that does not exist. And even the best, when you're talking about down, whether you're talking about most expensive insulations, what is key to those is loft, which is air. And so choosing lofted fabrics as your layers um, also is huge, huge piece to right. staying, staying warm. And are are you guys windproofness? Absolutely, windproofness at some level. We find a balance between breathability, based on everything we just talked about, and providing windproofness. Um, but you know that that sensation, that cold sensation of wind going through, is is also a killer. Right. Right. So. For sure. For sure. Are you guys producing um, base layers at this point? Or is that something still on the? Uh oh, I see smiles. Yeah, we're. Uh, well, I had to, you know I had to leave before the conversation, and I had to go get my my uh, new fabric. Which obviously this isn't a camouflage. This is all about. I think you should rock with it, man. I love it. Just let's just go with that pattern. Yeah. And see what happens. This is, this is jackhard. This is what I talked about earlier. This is a. This is actually a three layer jackhard, but 
we have, it's really hard. I mean, as simple as it sounds, oh, Jack Arden's the way to go. And, and, but to try to, and texture's the way to go, but to try to find a lightweight textured fabric that is durable enough and that you can make work is like, uh, it's one of the hardest things I've it's ever done. A challenge. And, yeah. But I think we have it done, yeah, and we're, we're excited about that for, for next season. So without showing our full hand, right, yep. yeah. we'll have base layer shots. Yeah. So, <laughs> stay tuned. Stay yeah. tuned. That's yeah. what we'll say on that front. Well, the last question that I've got for you guys is on that durability piece because, um, you know, I'm looking at your fabrics. Very, They look very soft to the touch. Like I'm, I'm like, man, that just looks warm, you know. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to just being durable, not getting, you know, slit open or uh my big thing is briars man you get you get to the you get to your stand or you finally get back to the truck and you're just covered in beggar's lice or something like that and it's like well i'm throwing this shirt away this afternoon um you know what how how do your how does your clothing stand up to that or is there is there any like tricks that you guys have found where like okay we yeah it's got some stuff in it but but we can get it out pretty easy yeah um, you know, as you can tell, we're, you know, we're very straightforward people. We're not going to exaggerate and say, you know, somehow magically this is high textured fabric and it, and it doesn't have an affinity toward burrs. It, it does. Um, we think that that trade-off based on the concealment side of things, the warmth side of things, the quietness side of things, a lot of things we haven't even talked about. I mean, it's, it's one thing to have quietness day like today and 60 degrees you mentioned it earlier you find new sounds and everything you have your sand and your bows and your boots and everything when it's you know when it's cold out and we definitely favored that side of things there will be no new noises that pop up because it's cold out um but anyway we we there's a lot of benefits of our fabrics based on that they do have some burrs um Bird, not say issues, you know, it's, it's a, it's a dynamic that has to be managed. Our core products have full length leg zippers um, for a couple reasons. One that allows you to put them on closer to the stand and carry them in on your backpack for the warmth side of things. But if you are in a bad burst situation, um, gives you the ability to go in a lighter pair of base layer pants or something like that and put right. those on and you, yeah. you know, through those burrs, which is what you should be doing anyway. Right. Like right. we just talked uh, about, you, sh- you shouldn't be walking in with our gear. You should yeah. be carrying it or strapping it to a pack. Um, this new fabric will, will lend some better dynamics yeah. on that side of things. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, we're not going to throw out all of our concealment benefits to try to serve a new master and right. Before we've, you know, sort of been okay with this, we've really had to do some testing on the on the light absorbent side to make sure it met specs, which were thumbs up. So we're good. Right. Right. I, I actually, Jamie, I'll smile. Um, I had the same fabric strapped to the front of my muck boots all day yesterday, and I picked up four cockaburs and two sandburs and that was, and it looked great. I beat the heck out of this thing all day yesterday and I was very, very happy with where it landed. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, listen, that's a, that's an excellent answer. I love hearing like, like, yeah, that's one of the things that we, you got to try to work around, but we're, we're so committed to these other values that we have that we're not going to let that get in the way of those, which I, I think that's, tremendous and like you said you really should have this stuff in a pack or strapped to your back or something like that you probably shouldn't be crawling through the briars anyway um right, you know, right. There, there might be there are probably better ways to get where you're going um but as a as a guy who's primarily hunting public land man i found myself just in some really weird mm-hmm. situations in the dark you know and it's like i know and i yeah. we, we, we understand yeah. and i'm not going to uh, I've been through, as you say, beggar's lice, and you know everybody has stick tights, and everybody has a, kind of their own common name, you know, for the the really bad stuff. And sometimes it's like uh, I got to go sit home for a little bit and clean my stuff up. And um, it, it's we think it's worth it. We right. really do. Right. All the good things, if you, especially once you figure out, you know, where those passes are at. Thank God for Onyxes anymore. I can mark a trail. <laughs> That's you know, right. And do yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's Stolen good. crossbones. That's like right. Yeah. Burr, burr side of things. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I had a, um, again, last year trying to go in as light as possible, cool as possible. It was warm in November in Wisconsin. 
going through a specific area <clears throat> in the dark, and I just had on my wool base layer. And by the time I got to the tree, the thing was just mm-hmm. covered. I got back. I, I literally got back to the truck and I just threw it away. I was like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not yeah. worth the time. You know, this it's four hours of my time or another 30 bucks to buy a new one. So or 40 bucks or whatever it was. So I think I'll just buy a new one, but uh, guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate yeah, your time today. Um, As you can tell, we like talking about ourselves. No, this is, this is great. This is great. And like I said, I saw you guys at ATA um, in January this past year. Um, uh, Bill Winky was at the booth at the time talking to you guys. And awesome. I was, I yeah. was, I was starstruck by him. Uh, but I've, I've heard good thing. I've heard him say a lot of good things about, about your camo as well. So, um, where can folks go to find more from you or find out more information if they want to learn more? Yep. You go to codasilence.com. Um, we do have some of our products in some shield stores. Yep. Yep. Sportsman's Guide. Sportsman's Guide as well. Planet, yep. Some local retailers. Oh, nice. This is a model we, we really, it's funny. Uh, I know we're short on time here, but, you know, we've heard so many people say, oh, the, you know, the small dealer can't sell a product, you know, can't sell clothing. And we, we really think this is different. Um, we really hope this works for the, the small, particularly the archery dealer, or the yeah. firearms dealer or both. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of story to be told here and, we, the values there were, you know, converts pretty well retail, but we're not trying to be Robin Hood, but uh, Robin Hoods. Um, but that would be really cool if we could find a way for, you know, uh, the local retailer to be find a line that works for them. So um, there, we have some local dealers that have done really, really well mm-hmm. with it so far. And I'm excited about that, but look for more of that in the future. So. Very good. Very good. All right, guys, if you want to learn more, head over to codeofsilence.com. I appreciate your time today. Absolutely. That's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, please go subscribe to this podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcast. And if you can leave us a review, I would really appreciate that until next week. Let's keep doing things the Southern way.